0: Today, we're going to be wrapping up our sermon series, A Family of Families. Before we do that, I want to say uh, thank you to Laurel uh, Lawback and her team for coming and worshiping with us. They're actually in a band called One Way Up, and uh, they came and brought the whole crew with us today. They're here this morning and tonight. If you were really blessed and you want to get some more, they'll be leading worship at uh, Inwood Community Park uh, in Inwood, Iowa. It's only about a half an hour from here, so they went from Linwood to Inwood. They Linwood in the morning. Inwood in the afternoon or the evening, so head on out. That's a free, um, free worship uh, experience that you'd be more than welcome to be a part of. And we are certainly glad that you were with us today. So we're wrapping up the series. You might have been here six weeks ago when we started this series titled "A Family of Families," trying to get uh, some 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 clarity around what type of family. We want to be what type of family of what type of families we want Linwood to be. And if you were here six weeks ago, you know, we started that message titled a healthy family of healthy families. We want to be a healthy family. Of healthy families, We want to encourage each other and strengthen each other and be healthy emotionally and physically and, and spiritually and psychologically in all the different ways that God desires us to live that rich and satisfying life that he died for us to have. And we've moved each week through that with a healthy family, a grateful family, a prayerful family, a humble family, a united family, and last week, a missional family, all with the idea that as we become each of those things in increasing degree, degrees will become each of those things in increasing degrees. I've talked to you a little bit about this principle from literature called hermeneutics, where you understand the whole of something better as you understand the parts, and you understand the parts better as you understand the whole. So I would challenge you, if you missed one of the weeks of this series, which is very likely given that summer has started and we go in different directions and we take vacation and people come to visit and all those different things, if you missed a week, please go back to the website and listen to it. And even if you were here every single week, I would encourage you, now that you've heard each of the parts, to in your spare time when you're mowing the lawn or you're doing different things, doing the dishes, put this on. Go to our website, you can find it there under the Media tab, or you can find it on the Apple iTunes podcast on your smartphone or on your computer, and you can listen to this again and let God reinforce these teachings to you, uh, because this is really Important stuff for us as a church family. Next week, we're going to be starting a new series titled What's True About You? What's True About You? If we live in a world that bombards us with messages about who we are and where we need to find our identity, and some of them are partially true, some of them are patently false, we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about what God says is true about you. And this is a very important series. We've been talking the last seven weeks about what's true about us and what we want to be as a family of families. This week we'll focus, or next week we'll start focusing in a little bit more on what God says about you and how he desires you to approach him and to understand him. So that's what's coming up. Now, as we talk about being a Christ-centered family of Christ-centered families, you might be wondering, well, what does he mean when he says Christ-centered? How is is he defining those terms? And I got that language from a study that was done by the Willow Creek Association uh, about 15 years ago. They started surveying churchgoers, surveying people who were attending churches on a regular basis. And at the time that I first heard this, about 10 years ago, they had interviewed over 250,000 believers and asked them a variety of different questions about what was important to them, how they spent their time, how they spent their money, where they served, all of these different things. And the results were a little bit surprising to them in a number of different ways. But one of the things that came out of that study that has been really helpful to me in ministry is understanding that there's a spiritual continuum that there is a spiritual continuum that people fall into different spots on that spiritual continuum, and as a pastor and a church leader, this is really helpful to understand that when people walk through that door and they come into this place they 're not all in the same place on that spiritual continuum and so they identified four primary um, areas that we would fall into and there's gray lines in between them these aren't hard and fast and and Don't get hung up on the statistics. Get get focused on where you might be on that spiritual continuum and understand that, that not everybody is where you are. And so whether you can read the text or not, it had to be fairly small to get it all on there. You can see there are four boxes. And the first box talks about being somebody who's exploring Christ. And as people who belong to this family of families and as pastors and leaders, we have to understand that not everybody who comes through those doors is a Christian. That there are people who come in and they're exploring Christ. And they might identify with a statement that says, you know, I believe in God, but I'm not sure about Christ. My faith isn't really an important part of my life. And so they're exploring Christ and they're here to learn. And they're here to see what Jesus is all about and what his people are all about and what is important to us. The next group is those who would be growing in Christ. So salvation takes place between the first group exploring in Christ and the second group, which are now growing Christ. And they believe in Jesus and would say, I'm working on what it means to get to know him. I'm just new in the faith. I, I don't have it all figured out yet. It's, it's all brand new to me, but I'm working on what it means to get to know him. And there are people who would identify with that statement here today. The next group is those who have grown in Christ for some time, and now they would say, I'm close to Christ. And they would identify with a statement that says, I feel really close to Christ, and I depend on him daily for guidance. They're close to Christ. They've, they've understood what it means to get to know him, and they have a relationship with him that's very important to them, and they seek guidance from Christ in that relationship. The final category is those who would be called Christ-centered, and they would identify with a statement that says, my relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important relationship in my life, the most important thing in my life. It guides everything that I do. My life is centered on Jesus Christ. And so those four categories emerged as they surveyed people, and now they've done over a million of these surveys and they have all this data and it keeps confirming itself and continuing itself. Before we move on, I want to make sure it's crystal clear that Linwood Wesleyan Church is a safe place. Regardless of which category you might identify with if you're here and you're exploring christ We want you to know we celebrate that we're so glad that you're here This is a good place for your questions This is a good place to observe and to find out what it means to be a follower of christ If you're just new to this faith and you don't have it all figured out yet This is a safe place to grow in christ And my hope and my prayer is that this church would be the perfect place to take your next step with Jesus. So if you're exploring Christ, we want Linwood to be the perfect place for you to become a believer in Jesus Christ and to begin growing in a relationship. And if you are growing, we want this to be a perfect place for you to grow and to grow closer to Christ. And if you're close to Christ, we pray and hope that Linwood would be the perfect place for you to move your entire life, your entire being to be centered on Jesus Christ, that that would be the most important thing. In your life, And you might have guessed this, but the two biggest movements that take place along this spiritual continuum is the first movement is salvation, right? That's when we come to Christ, where we go from exploring Christ to being close to Christ. Absolutely critical that we have that ex- salvation experience. That's why the gospel being preached and being proclaimed, the word of God being shared is so critically important. The next movement takes place fairly naturally as you move from growing in cli- Christ to close to Christ. That just seems to happen fairly naturally. But the final movement is very important, almost on par with that salvation experience, because so many people, especially in the American church, plateau at being close to Christ. And they kind of take their foot off the gas and say, you know what? I think I'm close enough to Christ. Close enough to Christ. That's the danger with getting close to Christ is that you start to feel I'm close enough to Christ. And you pull back. A little bit. And in the American church, this is the largest segment of regular church attenders or those who are close to Christ. They plateau and subconsciously feel I'm close enough to Christ and stop pursuing him as they might have when they were first growing in their relationship with Christ. And as as... They looked at the difference between the two. They zeroed in on the prayer life. And one of the best examples would be that those who are close to Christ pray prayers that go something like this. They say, God, I'm doing this and this and this. Please bless all the things that I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm committed to you, but, but please bless. And it's basically, God, bless my program and secure my preferences. Whereas those who are Christ-centered are saying, God, give me your program for my life. And if that requires radical changes in my vocation or the way that I spend my time or the things that I do with my money or where I serve and what I'm involved in, then so be it. God, I want to be centered entirely on you, and I want everything I do to flow out of my relationship with you. So there's a huge difference, and this is our bottom line today. There is a huge difference between being close to Christ and being Christ-centered. There's a huge difference between being close enough to Christ and being Christ-centered. And so as we talk about being a Christ-centered family of Christ-centered families, the goal for every person in this room is to be and increasingly become Christ-centered in everything that we do. The scripture that I want to look at today comes from Matthew chapter 22. So if you've got a Bible with you, open that up. If you use a digital device, take a minute to find your way to Matthew chapter 22. If you need one of our pew Bibles, they're in the seats in front of you, unless, of course, you're sitting on the front row, in which case there should be a Bible somewhere along that row that you can pick up and turn to Matthew 22, verses 34 through forty, The first couple verses just tell us a little bit about the context, and then the last four verses really zero in on what we're going to be focusing on today. That's page 1535 in the Pew Bibles, and I'm going to trust that you're either there or you're getting close, and I'm going to read to you. This passage, and really this is a conversation that's taking place between Jesus and two different groups of people here in Matthew 22, and he's just gotten a question from the Sadducees and sort of silenced them with his response, and that's where we pick up with the other group who were kind of at odds with each other. The Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't really get along, and here's what uh, what the Pharisees had to say. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question, teacher, So the first one that he lists there, verse 37, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which would be very familiar to every Jewish person in the room. It'd be familiar on the level that John 3.16 is familiar to us today. You see, Jewish people grew up reciting this passage of Scripture that Jesus just referred to in the morning and at night, every single day, and throughout the day. Because that passage tells people to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love their neighbor as themselves, and to teach these laws to their children. And so each day, they started the day and ended the day with this passage of Scripture. So Jesus zeroes in on this passage. And it's interesting because I've, I've looked into this before. I've heard sermons on this um, where, you know, you break down each word in their heart, mind soul strength some will add a fourth one because when jesus quotes deuteronomy 6 5 deuteronomy 6 5 says heart soul and might or strength here jesus says heart mind soul and so he substitutes mind for might and you can get into that and you can spend 30 or 40 minutes talking about why did he make that change or you can just add one in but but the thing is those aren't the three most important words in this scripture And it's easy to get focused on those three words and why Jesus chose those words and why he substituted mind for might and all those other things. But the three most important words in the scripture are one word, all. The three most important words in this passage of scripture are all, all, and all. So read it again with that in mind. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all All your mind. The three most important words are all. And keeping in mind that there's a big difference between being close to Christ and being completely Christ-centered, you see why all is such an important word and why Jesus says it three times. Now, often I will share with you the Greek word and its translation because there's some nuances in there, and you can translate it this way and that way. You know what the, the Greek meaning of the word we've translated as all here is? It's all. Okay? It's all. There's no tricks. There's no nuances. This word occurs almost 5,000 times in the Bible, and every single time it is translated as either all, every, or whole. And so almost in toddler fashion, it's like Jesus is saying, Love God with all your everything. Right? All your your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, those things encompass the person in these cultures, heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's all of us. That we are multifaceted people, but every facet of our lives is devoted to God in holy love, in complete love. It doesn't say have warm feelings about God. It says agape love, self-sacrificingly surrender all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul to God. And love him completely. And this is why this is so important. Because it's a matter of lordship. It's a matter of lordship when we start talking about loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. He doesn't say most. He doesn't say 99%. He doesn't borrow from Dove and say 99.44%. He says all, 100%, wholeness. And, completeness. and it's not like because God has some ego about it. It's because he desires your wholeness. He desires you to be complete. He desires you to love him with your whole self because that is where every part of us comes into union with him. And we experience the shalom of God. And this is this Hebrew word shalom, which we usually translate as peace, but it really means completeness or wholeness or maturity or wellness. That it's it's just like perfection. That is Shalom, And so when a Hebrew person would come into a home, they would pray peace upon that house. They would say, Shalom. And they're saying, we, w- we don't want this just to be calm and quiet while we're here. We want this to be well. That we want there to be prosperity. We want there to be wholeness and wellness and health in this place. And as they would leave, those that lived in the house would wish them Shalom. Take this peace with you, this wholeness, this completeness, this wellness. God wants that for us. And maybe you've seen it on a church sign somewhere, no God, no peace, K-N-O-W, no God. When we know God, we'll know peace. And if there's no God, N-O God, there's no peace. The same would be true about shalom, that, that there's no completeness, there's no wholeness, there's no health and wellness at our inner being without that relationship with God, without that experience of Total devotion to God. It is good for us. It is its own blessing. And we find true wholeness only when our whole being is completely devoted and united in our love for God. And that's what makes the second commandment possible. Because he moves on in verse 39 and he says, The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Agape love. Self-sacrificing. Surrender yourself to God, and to your neighbor. I've talked several times in this series about our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with people, that we have a vertical plane of relationship with God, and he wants us to be one, united in body, spirit, soul, heart, all of us, everything about us is loving God so that we can love each other and love each other in the same way with the same love that we have for ourselves. But but it's only when we find that shalom of God that we're capable of loving others truly and sacrificially. So that right relationship with God enables the right horizontal relationships. And this brings us back to last week. This is why continually striving towards a Christ-centered lifestyle where Jesus is at the center of everything we do, and if we can't do it in his name, we don't do it. This is why this matters so much, because last week we talked about the mission of God, that God's mission in this world is to reconcile the whole world to himself that the whole world would come into union with God and with each other. And that is the mission of God. And as we become more Christ-centered in our thinking, in our words, in our actions, in everything that matters to us, then the mission of God takes over within us, and it starts to take place in our relationships. And we're About the things of God. Because I believe that everything God is trying to do and accomplish in this world is accomplished best through a community of people who are Christ-centered and are welcoming people into that community that they might also become Christ-centered. It's not that we come here to get and to be filled up. We come in here to be filled up so that we can go out and take that love of Christ, that message of Christ to the world around us. When we put Jesus first in everything, and every aspect of our lives, and we start to do that with a group of people, and we're all about the same things. It's like that passage that I read to you from Acts chapter 2 last week, that all the believers were together, and they had everything in common, and they worshiped God together, and they learned from God's word together, and they gave, and they sacrificed, and they served, and they went out. And that was the beginning of the movement that we are a part of today. 2,000 years later, over 2 billion people have been touched by this movement, by this good news that God is crazy about you, so crazy about you, that he would send his own son to die on your behalf, that there is good news, whatever your circumstances are. That's the movement that we're a part of today. 2,000 years ago, it was taking place in Jerusalem. And it has moved throughout the world to the point that in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, there are several hundred people in this church, thousands upon thousands across this community, millions and even billions around the world that are praising the name of God today because of a group of Christ-centered people who took serious the mission of God and let nothing keep them from accomplishing it. So that is The mission of God. And this is how we begin to accomplish it. So how do we move across that continuum? We might be wondering, all right, okay, I want to be Christ centered. Pastor Mark, you pumped me up. You got me excited. Now, how do I do it? And I'm afraid it's kind of like when you see your friend lose a lot of weight and you say, what did you do? How did you lose all that weight? And the last thing you want to hear them say is, well, diet and exercise. You know, I ate right and I exercised more. You're like, no, 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 no. What, what pill did you take? What thing did you do? What trick did you find to magically lose weight without changing your diet? Or exercising, right? Well, sometimes I get that same look as a pastor where people are like, how do I become Christ-centered? Well, you read your Bible every day, and you pray every day, and you get together with other like-minded believers on a regular basis, and you reflect on Scripture in your journal. See, it's, it's really simple stuff. It's personal spiritual practices. It's having right beliefs and attitudes about God. It's doing these things in community with other people. And so if we go back to our spiritual continuum and how we move across that spiritual continuum, there's an overlay because there are four particular areas where they found that significant growth would occur if we would be about these things. So if you want to know what to do, write these things down. First, focus on your personal spiritual disciplines. Your daily scripture, your reflection, your prayer, journaling, worship, throw in some fasting, right? Where you skip a meal and, and you devote that time to prayer and study the word. And then as you're hungry, this is what I found with fasting, every time I feel hungry, it's a reminder to pray to God. And so I fast regularly just for the reminder to pray to God and to be engaging in that relationship that way. Find times of silence and solitude where you're alone and you're alone with God and you stop doing And just be with God. These are personal spiritual practices. The second one would be spiritual activities with others, that you get together with other people who are on the same journey, and you journey along the way together, because we were created in community, and we were created for community. We're created in the image of a triune God who exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. That's a divine community of holy and perfect love, and we're told early on in Scripture that we're created in that image, that we are created. We are multifaceted beings, and we're created to be in community with with other people. And so as we come into community with other people and we serve together inside and outside the church and we study the Bible together and we rub up against each other and learn from each other, then we're growing and we're becoming closer to Christ. And so great opportunity next Sunday morning, 930, we'll be meeting together to pray together. And the idea is not that we don't pray other than that time, it's that we pray all the time and we come together and we experience a depth of God's presence as we combine with other believers and pray together for the needs of this church and the needs that we bring together. So you're invited next Sunday in the chapel to come and to pray together, to to have spiritual activities with other people. Then there's spiritual beliefs and attitudes. These are critically important, that we we have correct theology, that what we think about God lines up with Scripture and how he has revealed himself to us, that there's correct doctrine, our stated beliefs and convictions that we have as a group of people worshiping God together, that those things matter and they're important because they're all moving towards what's really critical, and that is a Christ-like view of yourself, and the people around you. Because as we begin to see as God sees, both ourselves and the people around us, we'll do as he says. I think all disobedience is a, is a lack of understanding. We either don't understand something about who we are and who he created us to be, and that's why we disobey his word. Or we don't understand who the other person is that, and who God created them to be. And so we have to have correct and Christ-like attitudes about ourselves and about each other. And that's where we develop these spiritual beliefs and attitudes. And that happens in our personal spiritual practices. And that happens when we're together. And that happens in the fourth one, which is organized church activities. That this is only one part of the equation. And it was kind of a revelation at the time that, you know, people can't just show up to church and automatically become Christ-centered individuals. In fact, what they found was that if there was only one that you were going to incorporate into your life to move yourself, to be moving from one segment to another segment, it would be the personal spiritual practices, that those are the most critical, that, that transformation is an inside job. Transformation is an inside job. It starts on the inside, and it works its way out. And so we need all four. We need to be together. We need to do these things together. We need to rub off on each other and let iron sharpen iron, as the Bible says. But we do that, and we do it all as we move closer to Christ. And so we come to the programs and the events and the outreaches and the potlucks, and we do all of those things together because they're moving us closer to God, and they're helping us to see who we're on this journey with. But becoming Christ-centered takes place from the inside Out it works its way into us first, and then out through us. So if you want to take down, I I wouldn't try to do all four of them. Like tomorrow, I'm on a new program, and I'm going to do all the things that Pastor Mark talked about in the last five minutes. I'm going to do all four of them equally, and you'll burn out, you'll flame out. But find one thing that you could incorporate into your life to move closer to Christ, and then don't stop there. Keep incorporating something new and something new. Get into a link group. This fall, when we kick those back off, get into a Bible study where you're with people. If you're not reading Scripture every single day, just build that habit into your life, that one habit. There's so many resources that are available. You can sign up to have somebody email you Scripture every single day, and you could read that Scripture, reflect on it, spend a few minutes just jotting down a few notes, and close in a time of prayer with God. God, make this real in my life today. Whatever it is, find something and move closer to God today as a result of this. And one of the things that we want to put in your hands as you leave is a scripture card that is our, our scripture for the day, Matthew twenty two thirty seven, with the word all made really big. So you'll be reminded that the pursuit is towards Christ-centeredness, that Every part of our heart, mind, soul, and strength would be centered and focused on God. So the ushers are going to have these at the door as you leave. We print it off extra. Take several. Put one on your bathroom mirror. Put one in your car. Put, put them places that you'll see them. And take one and give it to somebody else. We're also... I think it just probably went live. We scheduled a Facebook post so that you would have a digital version of this. If you don't like Linwood Church's Facebook page, go out and like it. And then you'll see this today and you can download it, put it on your phone, send it to people, tag people in it, share it, whatever you need to do to get this into your life and to be reminded. And every time you see this little card, pray. Pray that you will become closer to Christ and more Christ-centered in everything you do. Pray that your family will And that our family, as Linwood Church, would become Christ-centered in everything that we do, that we would be living for His glory entirely. Would you pray with me as we close today and and as we finish we're going to continue to worship the altars are open you can come down you can receive prayer if you go to one of the far two altars in the corner, somebody will come and they'll put a hand on your shoulder they'll pray with you if you want to pray alone you can come down to these uh, front center altars and you can just pray and use this as a time to connect with God and respond in faith to what you've heard there's probably something he's tapped you on the shoulders with and said this is for you will you respond in faith Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your invitation. And we thank you for your desire, your deep desire, that we would love you with all our everything, that every part of us would be centered upon you, that we would have that integrity and that wholeness and that completeness and that wellness that comes from being united with you in every part of our lives. We pray, God, for every person in this room, that they would take a step closer to you today, that they would move towards you and respond in faith to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.